0: Okay, good evening all. Tonight's readings from the book of Isaiah and Matthew. The Bible is the New International Version UK. The first reading is Isaiah 60, verses 1 to 6, and you'll find this on page 742 of the Blue Church Bibles, or in the leaflet you've been handed out, or you may follow the service on the screen. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you All assemble and come to you, your sons from afar, and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land. Young camels of Median and Ephah And all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense, and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. The second reading is Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12, and that's on page 966 of the Church Bible, and once again, leaflet or the screen. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, Was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them
1: Sure, if you've seen Les Mis, but if you have, that should be reasonably familiar. Cossette, one of the major characters, sings, There is a castle on a cloud. She likes to go there in her sleep. There aren't any floors to sleep, not in her castle on a cloud. She dreams of something that is more. She hopes for a life that is different. Now we could just say that's just a, it's just a musical, it's Les Mis. It's just a fiction. No. Remember Martin Luther King. I have a dream. Again and again and again. He spoke of the dream. The dream of a world that was different. The dream of a world that was just. A man by the name of James Smith, he said this, he said, To be human is to be animated and oriented by some vision of the good life. Some vision of the good life. There is a level of hope that is essential in being human. And we feel this, don't we? We have a dream. Of what might be. James Smith again says it's a vague yet attractive sense of where we think true happiness is found. And I think Christmas taps into this sense of where happiness is to be found. You know, we speak of joy to the world. We speak of peace on earth. And in case you missed it, you know, Rundle Mall has been shoving it in our faces, just reminding us. They want us to think that true happiness is found in Rundle Mall. We might have some different ideas. But Christmas taps into these hopes, doesn't it? And we glimpse it on this day as we share the time with great food and the festivity and the family and the friends, when everything goes well, when we have that great Christmas, isn't there that sense where you kind of go, why can't it be like this every day? It's just a, a glimpse of what might be. Powerful hopes shaped the first Christmas too. At the time when Jesus was born, God's people had had centuries of pain, hard years, years of oppression, years of slavery, years of poverty, years of shame. They had been dark years, but there had been promises of hope. Eli read them for us, didn't he? Arise, shine. Your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. The prophet Isaiah, 700 BC, wrote these words. He says, nations will come to your light, kings into the brightness of your dawn. All from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of God. Isaiah and other prophets like him spoke a message of hope and they they presented a vision of the good life didn't they a vision of where true happiness might be found they spoke of blessing of rest of peace of comfort safety the hebrew word is a word that you're probably familiar with shalom not just peace in the sense of an absence of a war, uh, absence of warfare, absence of conflict, but peace in the sense of true well-being, of human flourishing, of everything set right. And Matthew, in the second reading that Eli gave us, is telling us that in the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, hope is being fulfilled. The birth of Jesus in Bethlehem is the fulfilment of these promises. We like to dream, don't we? Constantly looking, perhaps never really finding. Constantly on the move, hoping that things might get better. It's like walking through the kitchen on Christmas morning and catching that smell of the roast and just longing for the time that you can sit down at the table, looking forward to it, craving it, dreaming, hoping for that Christmas lunch. To be human is to be animated, to be oriented by some vision of the good life. It is to have hope. And God is saying that the answer that we are looking for is the same answer that Israel was looking for, Jesus and his kingdom. Let me read to you from Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Jesus born in Judea, in Bethlehem. Now, if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, we've actually spent two weeks already looking at Matthew chapter 1, and Jesus, we've already met him. Matthew has introduced him to us as the son of David, Israel's greatest king, and the son of Abraham, the forebear from which Israel, among other nations, came from. Two individuals that God made incredible promises to. And Matthew has introduced Jesus as the heir of these promises. The heir of the eternal kingship. The one that would reign over God's people in peace and shalom forever. The one that would bring blessing. Not just to Israel, but to all the nations this one Emmanuel God with us and at the time when he was born Matthew records that wise men that magi came in from the east now we're familiar with these guys aren't we we've sung the carols many many times we three kings Let's blow a hole in a few of the illusions here. They weren't kings, and we don't know if there were three or not. Uh, they had three different types of gifts. That's how we end up with three. Uh, but we actually, we do know that they're magi. They're Literally, they're astrologers. They're studiers, students of the stars. And they came from the east. We think most likely from that region of sort of Arabia, maybe uh, Iran, Iraq, they were probably advisers to rulers in those countries and they come bearing gifts. Not only do they come bearing gifts, they come asking questions. Verse 2, where is the one, they asked, who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. A star has risen. Now, there's lots of debate about this star. Was it Halley's Comet? Was it something else? I think the very least we can say, if you want to catch the attention of some astrologers, the best way you do it is by putting a star in the sky. It's like if you want to catch the attention of a chef, you put something in the fridge. Same kind of idea. Something, something in the heavens drew the attention of these men to the fact that a king had been born over israel a star rose that mirrored mirrored the glory of the lord promised in isaiah matthew gives us these key bits that hope has come the birth of this child the birth of a king the birth of one that he introduced just a few verses earlier as god with us Great news. Well, not well received. Why? You see, Judea already had a king. So it creates a little bit of an issue, doesn't it? King Herod was king of Judea. Now, King Herod wasn't a Jew. King Herod was uh, half Arabic. He may have had some Jewish blood there, but really he was a political pragmatist. He had picked the right side in the war between uh, various Roman emperors uh, and Rome had appointed him as ruler, as king over Judea. And he reigned from about 40 BC through to about 4 BC. And history accounts that Herod was paranoid, violent, ruthless and also an incredibly effective ruler. It's amazing how those things often go together, isn't it? Herod was renowned for murdering potential rivals, including one of his wives, his mother-in-law, and three of his sons. And so the wise men turn up to King Herod, and they ask a question, don't they? Uh, You question whether they are wise at this point, where they ask King Herod, where is the one born king of the Jews? And then we read in verse 3, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. It's probably an understatement of biblical proportions. Herod was disturbed. I can imagine the reaction was potentially fairly violent, And when Herod was disturbed, Jerusalem was disturbed, probably for different reasons, because they knew that this man tended to react in extreme ways. But Herod gets it. Herod gets it clearly. These men have come in asking where the true king of Israel, the one descended from David, the one who had the right to rule where this one was and Herod can do the do the maths 1 plus 1 you don't you don't want two kings there can literally there can be only one it's either Jesus or Herod and so Herod plots to do away with his rival Ah, tell me, tell me when you saw the star, tell me when you find the child, I want to go and worship him too. And when Jesus, Jesus is not delivered into his hands, we read on a little bit later in chapter 2, that Herod issues a decree to murder every male child under the age of two in the region of Bethlehem. Probably 20 or 30 kids, based on what we know of the population of Bethlehem at the time. But could you imagine, could you imagine the impact that that would have? Herod knew Jesus was a rival. If Jesus was going to be king, Herod couldn't be king. He sees that clearly. Many people are exactly like Herod today. They see that if Jesus is king who claims all authority, and he does, that we ourselves cannot be kings. Many see the threat of Jesus absolutely clearly. These people, I don't imagine there's too many of you here tonight. Uh, If you are, it's great that you are. Uh, But they're often the vocal atheists. They will not give up the throne. They see. I rule or Jesus rules? And it's not a neutral question. There's a philosopher in New York by the name of Thomas Nagel. He writes this in one of his books called The Last Word. He said, it isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. Thomas Nagel is honest in actually acknowledging he has no interest in accepting another king. Like Herod, he rejects the claims of Jesus outright. But there's another reaction. Herod's only one who reacts in a way. There's another group of people that are there Because when Herod hears the news, he's not probably been reading his Bible very much recently, and he calls in the experts. He calls in the chief priests and the scribes. These guys were the religious elite, and they knew their Bibles backwards. And so when Herod gives the pop quiz, you know, where's the Messiah going to be born? Straight away. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Of course, Bethlehem of Judea. Okay. I want you to think about it. These guys are the religious insiders. These guys are the ones who run the whole religious apparatus that is built on, among other things, the promises that Matthew is telling us are fulfilled. Okay, what would you expect that these guys would do when they hear what the wise men are asking about, what the Magi are questioning, what kind of a response would you expect? What do we see? They do absolutely nothing. They don't race the Magi to get there first. They let a bunch of outsiders go and find the promised king of Israel. Why? We don't actually know. could have been they couldn't, couldn't care less. You know, there was a good game on the TV. I've got other things on. It could be that they realised that if they started heading off to Bethlehem, Herod might have a piece of them as well. It could be that they thought, this is a kid. Herod's a powerful ruler. We actually know which side our bread's buttered on, you know, self-interest. Who knows? Who knows? Whatever the reason, these men did not act. And there's a parallel to us. Because there are many, there are many who have regard for Jesus. There are many who know stuff about him. Maybe you've been listening to stories about Jesus. They've read books. They've read their Bibles. And there's a polite respect. Maybe a polite disinterest. It's kind of like Australia and the Queen. I don't think we're ever going to become a republic. It's not because we love the Queen. We just don't care, really. I think the majority of Australians and my apologies if I've just offended you. It's just, who cares? It doesn't really change anything one way or another. And people have that kind of view with Jesus. Oh yeah, Jesus. It's nice, I get a couple of public holidays in his name. I get Easter, I get Christmas, you know, that's not bad. But day by day, not much changes. Or nothing Nothing changes. But you know the scary thing? That if you plot the course of Matthew's story of Jesus of Nazareth's life, the men who showed perhaps polite disinterest, at the end, the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. What may appear a casual interest in Jesus is actually just opposition looking differently. And eventually, Jesus will cut across the claims that you or other gods, other kings that you worship make on you. And at that point, at that point, you will become an opponent. They refuse authority. They want the kingdom. They want the good stuff. They want the hope, but they don't want the king. They don't want him having control. But can I say, it actually doesn't work like that. Jesus is not a constitutional monarch. Jesus is not asking for what you're prepared to give. He gives everything and asks for everything in return. And we see this in the third response. We've seen Herod. We've seen these chief priests. And now we see the Magi. Let me read to you from verse 9. After they'd heard the king telling them that it's in Bethlehem. They went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Literally, it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. He's piled words upon words to give us. These guys are over the moon. These guys are ecstatic. Ecstatic. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped. Now, the word there is a word that could be paying homage to a king. But it is also a word that means worshipping a god. And Matthew has deliberately used it in both senses. They opened their gifts and presented him with gold and frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. They bowed down and worshipped. They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they worshipped. They heard the word of God and they obeyed and went home by another way. So this evening, I want to ask you, unto us a child is born. We've said the words, we've sung the words. The king has been born. The one who brings the hope that we crave, that longing for peace And blessing. Now where are you? Where are you? Are you Herod? Are you with the chief priests? Are you with the magi? Hatred. Indifference. Worship. Will you receive... Your king. Why would you? The rest of Matthew's gospel unpacks that Jesus, God's king, the one with all authority, unlike any other king, is no tyrant. Unlimited power. And yet he serves. He lives for us and dies for us. Died that we might live, rose and lives now that we might never die. He offers us life in his kingdom because he offered his life on the cross. He offers us hope. He offers us his kingdom. He calls for our allegiance. He calls for our worship, he calls for our obedience. As we've sung, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Let's pray. Great Father, We thank you that you did send the Lord Jesus, born of a woman, born as one of us, into the shame, into the poverty, into the hardship. Father, this one, your son, rejected, ignored, hated, and murdered. But Father rose, rose from death, winning victory over sin, over the grave. Father, we pray tonight, we ask that you would give us such a sense of your love for us through the birth of Christ. That like the Magi, Father, we would bow down and worship, acknowledging Christ as King and giving giving over our lives to his right to rule. And we pray this in his name. Amen.